But then other days, it was strictly just me and the ball and my imagination. Welcome to Sauce Talk. This is Billy Hansen, and hope everyone's doing well, staying safe, trying to keep their families and their communities safe during this tough time. If uh, if you want something a bit more relevant to the present moment, you can check out my last podcast, which was with Barry Gillespie, and that was called this the it was called Social Distancing from a Buddhist Perspective, and we spoke about how meditation and mindfulness can help during this tough time. But today we're going to jump back into sports, and so this is going to be an interview with Bailey Purdy. Bailey was a three-sports star in high school and then accepted a scholarship to play basketball for Northern Colorado University, which is a Division I school. Then after a tough freshman season, she made the tough decision to transfer to Regis so that she could play with her sister, with her big sister, one more time. And Bailey had a stellar career at Regis. She was first-team All-Armac for three consecutive seasons and was among the league leaders in scoring each year. And so in the beginning of the podcast, we walk through her playing career. We talk about what the recruiting process was like coming from a small high school. We talk about the tough decisions she made to transfer and then how special it was to play with her sister when she was a sophomore and her sister was a senior. And then I take the opportunity to jump into the nuances of shooting the basketball. Bailey was a lights out shooter and shooting was my specialty as a player too. So we talk about everything shooting. Let me look at my gosh darn notes here. Uh, I ask her how she learned to shoot growing up. We talk about her philosophy on shot tuning and in-season shooting workouts. We speak about the mental side of shooting and dealing with confidence issues. We talk about visual visualization, how she mastered free throws. She shot, she shot over 90% from the free throw line. And then we talk about the difficulties of teaching shooting to other people. Um, and then beyond that, we talk, we dive into a couple things that I didn't expect, which I really loved. Bailey speaks about how important it was for her to maintain her imagination and creativity as a player and how sometimes the best kind of workouts are just you and the ball and coming up with different scenarios in your mind. And I thought that was really interesting and cool to think about because that's something that I did for countless hours growing up, but then I sort of lost that later on in my career. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in what she said there. So this was a great conversation. Bailey played at Regis when I was there. We were the same age, and she was just an absolute star, and she's a really great person too. So if you like this podcast, you might like my newsletter too, which is called Sunday Sauce. And there I'm just posting each Sunday a short chunk of content that's related to these topics, the overlaps between meditation and sports and mental training. So if you're interested, you can go to billyhanson.net forward slash sauce. That's Hanson with an E. And you could subscribe there. And I promise I won't spam you or share your email or anything like that. Just a quick hit of content once a week. So without further delay, here is Bailey Purdy. Okay, I'm here with Bailey Purdy. Bailey, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. So as I was prepping for this interview, I was looking through some of your high school stats, and my goodness, I was surprised. Like you had 
51 points in a high school game, an average of 33 your senior season, missed Colorado for your division. And what really jumped out at me was that you shot 47% from three as a junior, which means that you putting up those crazy stats, you were still doing it efficiently. Um, so it looked like you went to a small high school. just wanted to start this off by asking what was recruiting like dominating at, at a high school in a smaller division? Um, how did that experience go for you? Um, so honestly, I think recruiting went well for me because I played club basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I did not do that, my sister actually, she only played club basketball. Um, I, I guess it would have been her year going into her senior year. So she didn't get a lot of love. She didn't get a lot of um, recognition. I mean, for the things that she did in high school. So it kind of just opened my eyes and my parents' eyes as like, hey, you know, she wants to continue and play college basketball. We got to get her in the club scene. So Mm. um, I think it would have been a different story if I had never played club and I just played at a very small 1A high school in Colorado and was putting up those numbers. I might have gotten a few looks, but probably not the looks that I did. Okay, interesting. So you made more noise in the recruiting plot process in the club scene. And then, so you ended up committing to Northern Colorado, which is a division one. Were you deciding between other division one schools? What other looks were you considering? Um, well, yeah, I was, I mean, the main ones, I guess, was uh, Denver University, hmm. Northern Colorado, and Regis. Those were my top three. Okay. Um, after I kind of weeded everyone out I wasn't going to go to any other RMAC school besides Regis, so no one else took a chance, um, mainly because of my sister. Um, But yeah, ultimately I chose Northern Colorado very early in the recruiting process. Um, I believe I committed in August of Mm. my senior year. Um, You know, it was a lot of pressure, and they put a lot of um, pressure on me. You know how recruiting is, where they got to give you a deadline, and and you got to decide by then. So, I mean, that's what I did. yeah, I mean, I think it was a, a good decision for me at the time. And, you know, it was always my goal to to get to Division One. So I was really proud of myself that, you know, I was getting that recognition um, for going to a small high school. I felt like I got a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of negativity with the smaller high school scene. And people would see the numbers I put up and they'd be like, well, you know, she goes to a 5A school. She's not doing that. Right. Um, and... <laughs> I know, you know, it was almost like those, that thing where you wanted to prove how good you were. Yeah. Well, uh, I, think you, that uh, was I think you certainly did prove that in your college career. But let's talk first about your um, freshman season. I don't know anything about your that the one season that you spent at Northern Colorado. What was that like? Um, it was uh, it was an eye opener. Honestly, I I learned way more about basketball than I thought I ever knew. Hmm. Uh, and I. I walked into a very, very good team. Um, We had amazing players, several All-Americans, several players that went on to play overseas. Um, And we were just a really good team in general. We we played for the Big Sky Championship, unfortunately lost, but we still got to go on and play in the WNIT tournament. Mm. Um, And so, I mean, it was just awesome. It was a great experience. Um, I had some of the best teammates probably I've had my entire college career. Mm. Um, but you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't the right fit, I guess, basketball wise. Um, 
I came from playing every single minute in high school to, and I get it. And now as a coach, I totally get it. Um, but I came as playing, you know, every single minute to, you know, make, getting mop-up minutes, you know, the two minutes, you know, yeah. I even got in a game once with 11 seconds to go, you know, it was humiliating. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, it was a turnoff, honestly. And I, do, I guess I just never really had that honesty talk with my coach. And, um, I mean, just looking back on it, it was, I'm really happy I did it. You know, I met a lot of friends and, well, yeah, so it was, a, it was a, it was a great experience and it taught me a lot about basketball. So nice. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about mop-up minutes. I, I remember when I was struggling early on in my college career, there was a time where we were down by a lot at the end of the game, and Coach Porter decided to put um, the players who don't play much into the game. And he put, I think, three or four walk-ons into the game for the last like minute and a half, but he didn't put me mm-hmm. in. And he came over to the bench and he said, I didn't put you in because I didn't want to like humiliate you. <laughs> I was like, I actually appreciated that. It was weird because yeah. I was like, why am I not going in? Everyone else is. But yeah, that can be tough, um, especially like you said, when you go from in high school being the star and you were like a you know s- a superstar in high school. So that must have been a different experience to to not be in the rotation uh, in your freshman year. So yeah, it- so yeah sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. I just took a it took a lot of adjusting, and um, you know I know kids go through that all the time. Mm-hmm. No matter what sport that they play, they it's all it happens all the time in college. I know that I see it all the time, and kids always are coming from high schools as stars, and they come and they sit the bench, and they don't have the best of time. But it's just it's about the mindset that you have and and um, how you approach it. You know, you can either sit there and be all sad, you know, and um, mad at your coach and blame them, or you could really just sit back and look at yourself and be like, okay, why am I not playing? Mm-hmm. What can I do to get better? And I think that's, it, it hit me probably in the middle of the season, you know, that instead of being the Debbie Downer and being mad or sad or blaming my coach, I just needed to take responsibility and get better. And I can only control what I can control. So like, if she's not going to put me in, then that's fine, but I'm going to keep trying to prove to her why I deserve to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of kids get caught up in the whole, well, poor me, I'm done. I'm next season's gonna be my year. Yeah, definitely. And so at the end of your freshman season, was it a difficult decision to transfer to Regis to play with your sister? Or um did it feel like the right thing all along? How did that decision come about? It was very difficult. Um there was a lot of tears. <laughs> uh a lot of um frustrations and you know it wasn't something I wanted to do at all. I d- I didn't intend to go to college to transfer. Yeah. Um and so you know had a lot of really long talks with my parents um and ultimately I figured, you know, if I'm transferring, I'm not going to go anywhere besides Regis because I feel like it was a comfort thing. So my sister was there. I already had a relationship with Coach Ronig, Uh um, and I already knew the girls. So once I had my sights set that I was transferring, um, Regis was the place, and I didn't have to think about it hard at all. Um, And I I thought, you know, it would be really cool to be able to play with my sister one last time, and it really was. So Yeah, let's talk about that for a little bit. So you – pouring over your stats all for all the seasons and it was cool to see that in that season when your when your sister was a senior and you were a sophomore 
you two were by far the leading offensive players and you guys had a great season. So what was that like playing with your sister for her final year? Oh, it was the best experience hands down probably I've ever had so far in life. Mm. Um, we got to play a year in high school. Um, and that was awesome. We had a very successful season then. Uh, mm. so just being able to do it in college was, you know, a blessing, honestly. And I think it made me into a, a better player. Um, she was constantly the person that was always getting me in the gym. Even mm. when we had already gone to the gym, she was already trying to pull me back to going to the gym. So she just helped me get a lot better. Um, and she just made the players around her so much better, just the way that she, the way that she was as a leader and mm. um, just as a teammate. And it just, it really, it was so cool. Um, I would say for anyone that is listening, if you ever have an opportunity to play with a sibling, just do it. it yeah. It is the best experience ever. Seems like a pretty rare thing to play at an, an NCAA university with your sibling. That must have been really, really cool and special. And so. Yeah. You had that great season, Taylor graduates, and then I assume, I just for, from an outsider's perspective, it seemed like when she left, a lot of the scattering report, the opposing scattering reports switched to you and slowing you down. So how did your role change from playing with Taylor as a sophomore into being more of the go-to scorer as a junior and senior? Yes, that was very tough. Um, in my junior year, we had a, a, a tough season. Um, mm-hmm. We were the eighth seed. We went up and played UCCS and lost, and our season was done. You had a great game that night, though, if I remember right, right? Yeah, it was. I, you know, I played well, and I had a chip on my on my shoulder because one, I hate UCCS. Sorry, and two, um, it could have been. It was our last game of the year, and you know, I didn't want it to be. And unfortunately, once we got back, Coach Ronig told us she was retiring. So that night was just full of emotions. But it was a tough season, um, and I think it was we struggled a lot as a team, mm. um, just buying in to our what our coaches wanted. And I think behind the scenes, there was a lot of older girls who were already bought out, and mm. there was a lot of partying and a lot of behind the scenes things that affected our team. And that, I mean, that, I know 100%. That's why we didn't have the, the season that we wanted to, like we had the year before. Um, so it was tough. I felt like I shouldered a lot of that, and. Um, I was always trying to do everything I could to win. If that was forcing a lot of shots because we needed points on the board, I I did that. And Mm. it was tough. It was a really tough year. And um, it was completely different than the year before, mainly because I had everyone's eyes on Taylor and I get that wide open three in the corner or Brandy would come down and and fake a pass to Tay because everyone's always jumping to her and I have a wide open three. Um, Yeah. You know, I just had to really work on creating for myself and being able to get my teammates open because I was always the one waiting to get that pass because they were always getting me open. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a tough adjustment. And I, if I remember right that summer, I really sat back and, and tried to figure out what I needed to do better as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, and one was, you know, I needed to develop a mid range game and I needed to be able to take it to the, to the rack, um, rather mm-hmm. than just be able to shoot the three. So you know, it forced me to really, um, I guess, change my identity as a player and expand my game a lot. So, Okay, nice. And then you and I both got new coaches for our senior seasons. How was that, um, adop- adapting to a new culture as a senior? And you guys, I think, yeah. overachieved that year, right? I know you had a great year, but I don't think you were projected to do that well, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. 
you know, it was tough. I think going into a, your senior year and having a whole new coach is scary. Yeah. Um, I came back to Regis, I mean, mainly for my sister, but also I loved Coach Ronick hmm. and I valued her and I respected her tremendously. So losing her was very devastating. Um, and so it was scary to kind of open my eyes to, to a whole new coach and a whole new culture. Um, but coach Mayer came in and she's a Regis alum. So it was, it was a lot easier to take, um, just knowing that she's someone that coach Ronick has coached before. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that was, it, it ended up being a great year. Um, I think it was, um, our first few games, maybe the first month was pretty rough because, <laughs> We were trying to do an offense that didn't work um, in our favor as a team. And I think once once Marin and Coach Taylor figured out things, you know, um, you know how to get it inside to our big girl, but also, you know, use the talents that we had um, as guards, you know, with me and Caress and, mm-hmm. and Jess out there, I think that helped a lot too. So uh, it was just an adjustment. But, you know, like you, you just – any anytime something scary happens or you're not sure, you know, how it's going to work out, you always just got to, you know, take a step back and and look at yourself and be like, what can I do better? And, you know, how can I bring my teammates together in this time and and how can we win? So I feel like that's what I did. I feel like that's what a lot of our seniors did as well. So nice. Well, yeah. So yeah. looking back, what an amazing time you had at Regis I think we were first team each season uh first team all RMAC each season I think yeah yeah so I figured this would be a good time for you and I to dive into some like basketball nerd stuff just about shooting just to set the listeners up a little bit I want to rattle off some of your shooting credentials so you as a sophomore at Regis the year that you played with Taylor you made 88 three-pointers which is a lot for a college season it's a ton and you shot it at a 39 percent clip which is lights out when you're shooting that much um that was one of the top in school history i saw i already mentioned your high school stats you shot 47 percent for a season which is lights out and then junior and senior year you shot 92 percent from the line and 90 percent as a senior and um yeah it's just funny thinking back to my time at regis i, I remember the girls would play before the guys. And so I'd be going in to get my ankles taped, walking along the top railing or whatever. And I just remember like constantly hearing like Bailey Purdy for three. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a broken record. Um, and then another memory I have was, I don't know if you remember this, we, we uh, Midnight Madness, our senior year where we did the three point contest. And so I'm, yep. I'm battling against, Broadback and Dylan King and a bunch of good shooters in the drills. And then after I thought I won, uh, Logan, I think it was Logan, was like, okay, now you're going to shoot against the girls' winner. And I looked down and I was like, oh, no, no, I'm shooting against Bailey. Like, <laughs> I've done drills with her. She never if misses. I remember, right, you beat me, though. I think Didn't it was. you beat me in the. I think by like one shot. It was, it was almost, it was really close. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I, I've, you know, I'd done drills with you and I'd seen how accurate you were. So. I say all that just to set up some of these questions. Um, what, how did you learn to shoot? Did you have a specific teacher? Did you just learn naturally? How did you become such a good shooter? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, so just growing up, I was always a gym rat. So I was always in the gym since I could walk. Mm. Um, my mom was a, a high school coach. She coached pretty much everything. Um, 
And my dad also was just always involved with my sister and I in, in sports. And so what they did is they, we were always in the gym, but they also signed my sister and I up for Texas Tech basketball camp mm. back when Marsha Sharp was there. And so Tay and I would always go to camp every single summer from probably when I was in first grade to when I was in ninth grade. Um, and so they, they taught me how to shoot at Texas Tech camp and I'll never forget, um, the summer where I, I mastered shooting with one hand. Mm -hmm. It was my eighth grade summer because I had gone through pretty much my whole middle school career launching it with two hands. Mm -hmm. Very accurate. I was <laughs> honestly really was. <laughs> I, I was a great shooter in middle school uh, too. But so they, they at Texas Tech camp, they basically told me they didn't say this, but from the gist I got, well, if you shoot with two hands, you know, you're a loser. So <laughs> you probably should. Um, shoot with one hand, you know, use the other one as a guide hand, but don't use it to push the ball. So, um, I came back and I shot a lot of air balls, a ton of mm. air balls. And I remember I had girls making fun of me and laughing at me and stuff, but mm. you know, I told myself like, I'll never shoot with two hands. Like that's for losers. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, and I didn't. And so I mastered it. And, um, ever since then, you know, it's been that, that beautiful jumper, that I developed, but, um, yeah, it was a lot of camps and a lot of just being in the gym with my sister, um, and just shooting. That's all it was. So, yeah. It's, uh, so it's interesting that it happened for you in eighth grade as well. Cause I remember having a similar transition around that time where I was told that I had to, cause I kind of launched it from my hip, which ironically now a lot of players are doing. It seems, it seems like <laughs> yeah. Steph Curry kind of shoots from his hip in a weird way, but I remember being told you have to get it over your head. And so I went through this very awkward period where I was a very good shooter in middle school as well. And then there was a period of time where we switched to a bigger ball and I was trying to shoot over my head and all of a sudden I couldn't make anything anymore. And that was definitely a stressful period. Um, it sounds like you went through something similar. So what was your philosophy on tuning your shots in the middle of the season or, or shooting workouts? So there are different philosophies on this. Some players like to get as many shots up as possible just to keep your shot locked in. Other players just like to feel the rhythm here and there and they don't want to shoot too much to tire themselves out or develop bad habits. What was your shooting mm -hmm. philosophy during a season? Yeah, so when I played, um, my shooting philosophy was to get in the gym like anytime I could. Mm -hmm. So I would go to class um, and I would have, you know, like a free two hours before my next class, um, since I lived off of campus and I would just go to the gym and shoot a ton. Um, and you know, sometimes I shot with a shooting gun. Other times I didn't, mm. you know, I didn't even know what a shooting gun was until I got to college. Right. <laughs> um, kids nowadays are so, so blessed with the <laughs> fact that high schools have shooting guns. Like I didn't even know there was a such thing. Yeah, they've, they've um, so, also they've also know, got just, they also have Twitter and Instagram to distract them though, so it, <laughs> it evens out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, but yeah, it would just you know honestly, I think if you take a day off, it's like taking a week off from your shot. Mm. Um, and I truly believe that. And so I think that my mindset just in college was we didn't get enough shots in as it was in practice. So yeah. you know how am I supposed to be confident? and make these shots in a game if all I'm doing is, you know, a simple drill in practice where I get like five threes up. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, my philosophy was to get in the gym as much as I could, you know, and I made it to a point where if I didn't get in the gym when I had free time, when I, and whenever I was on campus, I felt super guilty to mm. the point where I just went to the gym. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And so that's something, you know, as a coach right now, like I just preach to the girls is like you have to get in and get shots up. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be confident. And when you're in a game, like if you don't get game like shots up, you know, on your own, then how are you, how do you expect to make those in the game? So, yeah. Um, and did you go through many ups and downs with your confidence as a player or were you, would you consider yourself a pretty consistent mentally player? I was wondering what you, what kind of shooting stuff you did if your shot felt, if your shot felt especially, um, choppy or not rhythmic. Um, do you have anything to say on that topic? Yeah. Um, of course I went through tons of confident battles. Um, like as a, a freshman in college, you know, it was just all around confidence hmm. and my, the main, the year that I was just a head case with shooting was my junior year, hmm. um, in college. And that, that, that was, it was just, I had games where I felt like I could not make it hmm. To save my life and it was frustrating and I found myself in the gym more than I had ever been in the gym and I think it made it worse yeah. um, I can remember an instance where I had been in the gym for two hours probably and just shooting three shooting threes and Stevie you remember Stevie oh yeah he's coming on soon yeah, yeah. Um, he he was on the balcony because um, he was a coach at the time and he walked down and he was just like, dude, you're a good shooter. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? And, and, and I know it's because he saw me struggling in games. And I've, I knew that he sensed my frustration um, with not making shots. And so, you know, just having him come down and reassure me, I think as a player just made me realize like, hey, I'm not in this by myself. Like this coach, he sees me. He sees me struggling. He sees me down here working. Like, just keep it up. Yeah. Um, but also it made me realize I need to take a step back a little bit, a yeah. little bit. I was overdoing it, you know, to a point where, you know, I probably was practicing bad habits. I was shooting so much to where my form probably wasn't good because I was tired and, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, it's actually surprising to hear you say that. I was also surprised when I talked to Noah that I, I just, I always assume that I'm the only one going through these mental battles and even, you know, it's crazy because everyone does, but from the outside perspective, watching you play, you always seemed so confident and intense. And so, yeah, it's, and I've totally been there too. I, I spoke about this on another podcast where I, when my confidence was at its worst as my, my sophomore year, I would do crazy things. Like I was going to the gym at 10:30 at night or five in the morning and shooting until I was totally tired, you know, shooting so much, getting really upset, like punting the ball across the gym because my shot yes. still, still <laughs> felt bad. And it wasn't until, like you said, I, I had to really take a break from all of that and work on my mind that it started to come back into place slowly. But yeah, it's, I think a lot of players can get it because it is true generally that the more shots you see yourself make in the gym the more confident you'll be in the game but some players mm -hmm. i think i think some of us get into that space where no matter how much you're it's kind of like um that parable of like pushing the, the stone up the mountain it just keeps rolling back down 
and you just keep pushing it up again over and over again and it's you're not getting anywhere so yeah yes. so so I, I found that in my senior season when I was shooting my best my in-season workouts had shortened and I had focused more on quality instead of quantity and I knew that if yeah. I was shooting kind of absent-mindedly that it was probably doing more harm than good or if I was letting myself get too frustrated or even too proud like if I was shooting really well and I was getting that glow of oh my god I'm so good like that was taking away from my success as well um mm-hmm. did you because shooting is such a mental thing how did your shooting workouts progress and you could also pick up on this like if you were going to go through college again now what would your shooting workouts look like in season um well when I played uh honestly like I didn't have any rhyme or reason I feel like when I did go and do shooting workouts mm-hmm. um Honestly, it was more of like, I need to get in there to maintain my shot Mm. um, and then work on things that I need to get better at. So, you know, shooting a three off the dribble, shooting a step back three, shooting a between the legs step back or making a move, you know, all these different rhythm threes, you know, that you need to practice. I was doing Um, and a lot of it. Yeah, I got on the gun and let's say I was going to make 500 shots, you know, whenever Dr. Dish was working that day, I would get in there, you know, get some shots up. Um, But then other days, it was strictly just me and the ball and my imagination. Mm. And I think that lacks tremendously with athletes nowadays is Mm. they're so used to the gun. They're so used to getting in there and having the gun shoot to them. They're not used to going and getting their own rebound. They're not used to, you know, having that imagination where you're like, all right, you know, I got a ball screen. I got 10 seconds. I'm going to take her down, go between the legs, come, you know, come back, step back three, you know, Mm. just instances like that. I think, I think a lot of kids need to need to do, and it's hard, you know, whenever you have all this technology and all these awesome things at your fingertips to just like step, take a step back and, and do the simple things. Yeah, um, that's a really, that's a really interesting point. And that's cause that's something that I did a ton growing up is just me and the ball in my outdoor court, imagining different situations. And I don't know, I don't know how much I did through high school and college of that. What do you think athletes are missing who aren't doing that anymore when it's just them and the ball, no rebounder in your imagination? What do you think is lost when athletes stop doing that? just creativity and just like that confidence when you're in the game and it is just you and the ball Mm. and then a defender in front of you, you know, it's not like you got the gun kicking it back out or, you know, something rebounding for you. Like it's just you. And it's like, what are you going to do in that moment? Well, if you haven't like visualized it um, and you haven't thought of that moment, then like you're stuck, you know, Um, because there's been times in games where, you know, I did. I, I did do like visual, um, you know, like before a game, I sit in the locker room and I visualize or I'd be at my apartment visualizing. And um, there were times like during the game where like I didn't have to think, you know, because one, one I feel like I visualized the moment. But two, I also practice it a ton of times in the gym to where mm-hmm. like I just got the ball and it was natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, not being able to do that and not being one-on-one with you and your ball and, and having the imagination that takes that away. Yeah, that's great. And you said you visualized sometimes at your apartment, sometimes before the game. Was that spontaneous or did you have a visualization routine that you went through before games? Um, 
a little bit of both, honestly. I think um, before games, like I always, I always made sure that you know whether I was in the training room or um, you know at home before I made my drive in, like I always made sure I sat down and just like thought about game plan, what I want to see myself do in the game, you know how I want to, you know what kind of teammate I want to be during the game, um, because I think that all that's important. You get so caught up in being in the game at that moment, especially with the teammate stuff that you forget, you know, like, Hey, I got to huddle my teammates. Hey, I got to do this. So, you know, I think just preparing myself mentally, but also, you know, visualizing myself doing things helped a lot. Mm. Nice. Okay. And let's uh, pivot quickly to free throws. So you, like I mentioned before, shot 92% as a junior on 85 attempts, which isn't a ton, but it is enough to get a real sample. And then you shot 90% again as a senior on a similar number of attempts. And so, I mean, 92% is just, it's like robotic. And the other cool thing about that is, you know, when you're at the free throw line shooting free throws, there's no, that's a direct comparison between men's and women's basketball. So it's the same thing. And I, mm-hmm. I think that 92% puts you at one of the best free throw shooters in America, male or female. So I'd, I'd love to get any insight that you have on um, how you got so automatic from the free throw line. And so I want to know, like, did you have any breath work, mental exercises? Was it just getting reps in? How did you develop that kind of consistency from the line? Oh, um, I think a lot of it was just reps. Um, and a lot of it, um, I think was just what the coaches did in practice. So Mm -hmm. coach Ronick, like she would always, we would always do pressure free throws, any sort of pressure free throw situation. She did it. Um, and Mm -hmm. so I think that helped a lot. You know, you're, you're stepping up to the line in front of your teammates after you've just ran what, like three suicides Mm -hmm. and she expects you to make two in a row. Um, or one-on-one back when that was a thing, um, for women. Mm. And I think that, I think that helped a lot, but honestly, when I was younger, I always did the Elks hoop shoot free throws. <laughs> Me too. Um, I don't really know anything about the Elks hoop shoot. Um, but you can't, you can't believe how many free throws I shot probably from the age of second grade all the way up till whenever I couldn't participate anymore in that. Mm. Um, and that is a pressure situation because what they do is they have you get up in front of everybody. It is dead silent. <laughs> and you're a, let's say, a fifth grader. And you're shooting with just a rebounder and everyone else in the crowd just staring at you and it's silent. And you're shooting 25 free throws. <laughs> uh, that It's just nuts. Like, I think yeah. that, I think that has, I think that made me into the 90% free throw shooter. Honestly, I really do. The Elks hoop shoot wow. by far. Yeah, what a great reference. I have a vivid memory of making it to state in Elks and then losing the state by one free throw and having like kind of a, a hissy fit afterwards. I remember being a little kid, just so upset that I lost. And yeah, that <laughs> uh, um, that is a, such an intense thing. I remember being in a, a gym that was relatively crowded. And like you said, it was completely silent in there. And you're shooting in front of everyone. It's so intense. Yeah. Um, so how far? Yeah. How was the farthest you got in the Elks hoop shoot? 
Um, just to stay, and I choked mm. at state. <laughs> I, yeah. Okay. For the I got with state, but you know it. It was a lot of fun, and I I might have hated it at times. Like my dad, oh my god, he would take me to the gym all the time, mm. um, because my mom has always been in education, so we always had a key to the gym. Um, and he would just make me shoot so many free throws to the point, like where it would get to the point where I just like wanted to throw the ball at him and just like <laughs> scream out. Um, and he would give me all these scenarios, like, you know, if you don't make two in a row, then, you know, like you're not going to get a scholarship to Texas tech or mm. you don't make two in a row, then, um, you know, you're going to have to, cause we lived on a ranch. You're going to have to carry two feed buckets all the way down to the barn and back or something like that. And I'm just like, dad, like, I don't want to do any of these things. And I want to get a full ride scholarship to Texas Tech. Like, I'm going to show you and make both these free throws. Yeah. Um, it was just stuff like that. My parents were very involved in Taylor and I's lives, you know, especially with sports and all that. And, you know, that played a huge role into into all of it. Free throws, life, basketball, everything. So nice nice and i love what you said about pressure free throws in practice or with your dad or in any other way because they're so different than just going and shooting 10 after your shooting workout with no consequence um it's such a different thing being in the game when you're tired and you have to make two if i were a coach i would probably emphasize that more than okay you just have to make 100 free throws after practice and report your number um yeah okay and so now are you trying to so now you're coaching um and i'm sure you're working with players on their shots you're coaching at Briarcliff university which is is that an nai in idaho is that right uh it is yes it's an nai but i am in iowa iowa sorry yes okay no you're good and um so i was a graduate assistant for a couple years and tried to work with some of the players on their shots and i found it kind of frustrating and difficult to help players shoot better um, because it seemed like we'd be in shooting workouts and the more things that I told them the more confused they'd get and the worse their shots looked and I just I over the year I, I learned that it was some of the things that made sense to me didn't necessarily translate or I wasn't communicating them effectively and I think I got a little bit better but it still just seems like a difficult thing to teach it's I, I liken it to like how do you teach someone to move rhythmically doing the tango dance or something? It's like a very, it's like an, it's like an intuitive movement that if you don't feel it, it's hard to learn it just by hearing instructions. So what, what has your experience been like trying to help others learn to shoot? Oh, it's tough. It is so tough. Um, especially if you think about it at the college level, you know, they've gone how many years shooting with that same form? Yeah. You know, that's comfortable to them. So, um, you, you know, like it, you, you have to have a lot of patience. Um, and the player has to be willing to change the mm. shot. You know, it can't just be a one-man show where the coach is all about it and the player is, you know, not bought into that, mm. um, which I've experienced a lot. You know, it's like, coach, I've been shooting like this my whole life. Like, just leave me alone. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, some, I guess some pointers I would have is mainly like for the players, um, you know, listen to your coach. And I think coach coaches always know best and have your 
best interest at heart and, you know, just listen to them and, and be open to what they have to say. Uh, even if it doesn't feel comfortable because what's going to happen is they fix your shot and you're going to shoot probably if you shoot 10 shots, probably you're going to make two, you know, with that new form. And it's about like your plan and your commitment. So are you committed to fixing your shot? If so, it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to, you know, you're going to have a lot of frustrations with it, but, um, you know, the end of result is going to be awesome. Yeah. And so you have to, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, it sucks because you have to, if you're going to make a significant change in your shot, you're going to regress at first. You have to go backwards before you go forwards because it's going to feel uncomfortable. Sort of like what you said about what happened to you in eighth grade when you changed your shot. You go, you become worse for a while, but then hopefully it'll come back together. So when you're coaching, do you try to make specific, um, significant changes with players during the off season and then minor kind of rhythmic adjustments during the season? Um, how do you try to balance that as a coach? Yes, always, always during the off season. Mm-hmm. You never want to do it during season. Um, I think mainly because they have so much other things going on that that's the last thing that they want to focus on um, is fixing their shot. You know, when they have a game coming up in two days. Yeah. So always in the off season. Um, you know, at Briarcliff, we're very fortunate with the NAI level to do summer workouts with our girls. So mm. um, summer is where it's at, you know, where shots are changed and, um, you know, improvements are made. And so, yeah, but never during the season. I think that just brings a lot of frustrations and yeah. and all of that. So. It can be a, a confidence hit, too, if your coach is telling you to change mid-year. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... One more question I had. So we talked before the interview briefly about um, something that uh, made an impact on you. And it was when your sister was forced to sit out for a season and that shifted your perspective about basketball. Do you want to just tell the listeners a bit about what happened and how it changed your mindset? Yes. So um, my sister, it was after her friend freshman season um, at Regis and she had just been named um, the freshman player of the year um, all of that she uh, she started experiencing you know some heart issues and um, mainly what it was was just like a, a regular heartbeat or an arrhythmia um, in her heart where it would speed up really quick um, and then you know slow down and it just kind of got to the point where she had to have surgery um, which forced her to sit out for that next year. So she got that medical red shirt, um, and that's how we were able to play mm. uh, together in college. Um, but, yeah, it just kind of, you know, forced me to take a step back and, you know, just being able to see my sister in that situation um, where, you know, basketball was stripped from her um, and she didn't have it anymore, you know, for, for a whole year. Um, you know, it was pretty scary, but it also kind of opened my eyes to where, you know, you, you shouldn't take things for granted. And, um, you know, every, every opportunity I had to step on the basketball court and get better, you know, I was going to do because I never knew when something like that might happen to me. Um, so yeah, it was just an eye opener. And I think, you know, when athletes go through injuries, you know, ACLs are very, um, dominant in the female sports, especially women's basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's unfortunate we had tons of in- injuries this year on um, on my team, and uh, it forced a lot of girls to have to sit sit in the stands and and watch basketball. And I think it made them realize, you know, you know, I don't need to take this for granted. And you know, every practice, you know, there's there's those practices, and I know I've heard your your um, podcast the other day where you were talking about how you would show up to practice and be like, ah, oh, I don't want, I don't know <laughs> if I want to be here, you know, yeah. and I get it. Cause I have practices like that too. Um, but you know, just injuries and, you know, things like what my sister went through, I think once it hits close to home, you realize, you know, like I got to show up to, to practice with a mindset of getting better, no matter how bad I just want to go home and, you know, watch Netflix or whatever. Uh, because yeah. I never know when I'm going to, you know, not be able to play and you only get four years, yeah. you know, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you only get four years to play after high school. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it just, it hit home. So I just kind of lived by that through my college career and, and, you know, gave it all I had. Obviously I think looking back, you know, I probably could have gotten the gym more and I probably could have, you know, been a better leader on the floor or a better teammate or, you know, I'm sure every player looks back after they play, but, um, yeah, it just, it, it forced me to look back on it and, and never take things for granted. So, yeah. Well, on that topic. So what was it like for someone like yourself who took basketball so seriously and was so successful when your final few games of your senior year were upon you and you, you, it was all kind of coming to an end. What was that experience like playing in some of your last basketball games and then having it um, having it end? Oh, it was devastating. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, I mean, and you you know, it was like the worst feeling you could have ever imagined. Mm. Um, and what happened my senior year is we ended up hosting a playoff game against UCCS, um, mm. and we were the higher seed, and we had just beat them the game before. Um, and they came down and we were winning, winning the entire game. They came down and beat us. Um, it was probably the end of the fourth quarters where they got us. And uh, that was my last game ever. And we set through a whole selection show. Uh, we thought we were going to get um, an at-large or whatever mm. bid into the, into the tournament. And we never did. And mm. um, it was very heartbreaking. And I think that's why I chose the path I'm in right now. Um, is I just, I didn't want to give it up and it was such a crappy way to end my senior year. And so, you know, I thought what, what better than to continue basketball, you know, through a coaching career. So, yeah, well, hopefully you give yourself some credit too, for how amazing you were on the court. But yeah, I totally hear you and it can feel so jarring when your career ends and you've been doing it your whole life. And, um, Yeah. So how has it been being on the coaching side? Are you getting some of the same competitive jolts? I'm sure it's a whole new challenge and whole new craft that you're dealing with, but are you enjoying it so far? Yes, I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the thing I love the most is just uh, obviously being able to be around basketball, but I would say the relationships that I have with the players. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think as a coach, I just took bits and pieces that I really loved about you know, I had three coaches in college. That's crazy. Yeah. But I did. And I took bits and pieces of what I liked about what those coaches did and, you know, pieces that I didn't like that I didn't want to do as a coach. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of, I guess, made myself into what I think 
is a, a player's coach in a way, you know, as an assistant coach, I think that's my role. So, mm -hmm. and you're thinking as of now, you know, things definitely could change, but would you like to be a head coach at some point and have your own team? Um, yes, there's been some, some thought to that. I think it would be a change obviously from what I'm doing right now, but, um, yeah, I have put some thought into that. So cool. Nice. Well, um, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Jordan, LeBron, or Kobe, and why? Um, oh, my gosh. This is such a tough question nowadays. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with my man, LeBron. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say um, I think he's my generation's Kobe. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've grown up watching LeBron, and I just I love him and everything he does. You know, he, he does – tremendous things on the court, but off the court, he is incredible person. So, um, I think just seeing the things that he does off the court is what makes me really like him, um, as a player. So, uh, and that's a tough question because, you know, I love, I love Kobe Bryant. So, but LeBron is my generation's Kobe. So nice. Okay. You're starting an NBA franchise tomorrow. Which player do you want to build your team around? Ooh, LeBron, obviously. Even even <laughs> even though he's even though he's thirty five. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, he's in he's in his prime. Okay, nice. Um, <laughs> favorite character in a TV show. Oh. Um, I don't know why this just popped in my head, but Dwight of the Office. Nice. <laughs> What uh what quality do you most admire in a coach? Oh. Um I would say honesty. Nice. And let's say Bailey Purdy is a senior in high school again and you get to impart one piece of advice to her before she goes through her recruiting process and starts her college career. What's one thing you would say to help her have a better experience in college? Um, you know, I would, I would probably say um, to not pick your college based on the level and to put more thought into um, making your decision on the best fit. Hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people could take that advice. I call it the uh, the D one infection, and I certainly was infected my in high school. It's like you just yes. want that, and yeah, I think for you especially coming from a small high school and wanting to prove yourself, I'm sure that was rampant. And so, I think that's a great piece of advice for everyone listening. So, okay, Bailey, well, this has been awesome getting you on the podcast. Um, is there anything we missed? You think? I think you. I think you hit on everything, Billy. I really do. Okay. Well, thank you for doing this and hopefully um, get you back on here again at some point. Maybe when you're a head coach, we can talk again. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Billy. If you'd like to support the podcast, please consider subscribing to my newsletter, Sunday Sauce. Every Sunday, I'll send out a small piece of content that's related to the topics I'm researching and exploring on this podcast. It could be a quote or an image or a short video or a piece of my own writing just something small and digestible that I think is worth looking at. I'll also announce when new content comes out, so it's really the best way to stay up to date with what I'm doing. 
To subscribe, you can visit billyhansen.net forward slash sauce. You can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter, and those links are in the show notes. Other ways to support the show include leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, sharing with friends and family, or posting on social media. Thank you for listening and for your support. It's a sauce.